Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Hello, my name is Kimberly Martin, and you're listening to Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County, a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Opinions expressed on this show are totally mine and do not reflect the opinions of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County and other shows, please go to KUCI.org. Well, welcome to KUCI. This is Kimberly Martin, and I am your host of Real People OC, and I come to you each and every week to present to you Orange County's best and brightest. And I have to say, it's been a true honor and a pleasure to do that for you. It is um, it is great to be here at KUCI, and we are entering that time period where we focus on our fun drive. And I don't know, I, I think KUCI is a pretty special place. And so I invite you to think about supporting KUCI if you haven't before. We are out there rapidly searching for premiums so that when you do donate, you get a little something uh, to show for it. And so, um, I don't know, go onto our website and have a look at some of our premiums and, and think about supporting this great station. We've been here since 1968. That was the year of my birth. Ooh, did I just reveal my age? Um, don't tell anybody. But, um, but yeah, that's a long time. We have one of the largest collections of vinyl in the United States. And so that's pretty impressive, too. If you've ever had a chance to do a tour of KUCI, it is most impressive. I believe we probably would offer that for a generous donation as well. If you're interested in music and certainly looking at KUCI's past, you can come down and, and uh, consider maybe paying to um, uh DJ with one of our shows. That's kind of a fun thing we do at Fun Drive Time. So all sorts of wonderful things. I've been out dining for dollars and uh, stopped over at Pita Jungle, and I know they'll support us. They'll be on our premium list, and Maury's up in Tustin. So all sorts of good things happening here at KUCI at our Fun Drive Time. So if you've been tuning in regularly with us on Thursday afternoons, you know that I have been doing a Um, series on domestic violence here at KUCI. And it's a pretty important issue. (coughs) And it's one that we thought really we couldn't cover in just one segment of our show. So we thought it would be better if we gave a little extra time to talk to you about it. And so we've created a series. And this today is part three of our series on domestic violence. Now the original one, we had the founder of Human Options, Vivian Klikak and Nora Caldwell in here. And they told us about the services that they provide. And then, um, and then like any wonderful collaborative effort, I wasn't able to do this alone. So I am hugely grateful to Nora Caldwell at Human Options, who helped me um, put together this series. Really, she helped design the discussion that we've been having. And then she went on to coordinate all the individuals uh, that we brought into the studio for you so that you can hear about what um, all the different aspects. We we thought the topic uh, demanded some extra information. And certainly with the amount of resources that we have found and uncovered here in Orange County, 
to be available to individuals that are in this circumstance. Usually it's women and children, and um, we wanted to provide you with those resources. So um, today is part three, and we are going to discuss the health impact on individuals and um, ladies, women, and children mostly seem to be who are impacted. And that is, um, that's what we're going to focus on today. So we figured that this might give you a better perspective on the true costs on our bodies, both physically and mentally. And so if anybody is out there that is kind of on the fence about what they want to do about their own circumstances or circumstances that they've been bearing witness on, we thought that we might bring you some more compelling information to help you make some choices um, to put yourself in a healthier place and maybe have a better future. So um, today we have in the studio three lovely ladies, and I'm going to introduce them by name, and then I'm going to have each of them give a brief discussion of themselves. I was going over their credentials, and I was basically trying to bring it into a smaller place so it would be easier to say who they were. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is crazy. They all have so many credentials. I think I better just have them each tell a little bit about the role they're serving in this capacity. Um, so um, today we have Mary Jo Mursa. She is a nurse over at Kaiser Permanente. Maricela Rios-Faust, Rios who is um, a licensed clinical social worker, and she is with Human Options, right? And um, then Dr. Julian Tui, who is a um, physician for high-risk pregnancies, maternal fetal medicine. So, and she's also a former board member um, of Human Options as well. So I would like to start with each of you. I'm going to look at you and then go ahead and say hello to the audience and then uh, tell me who you are and where you've been and what you're doing now, okay? All right, so we'll start with you, Dr. Tui. Thank you, Kimberly. It's a pleasure to be here today. I am also a long-term anteater. I have been here for my entire career. I was at UCI as an undergraduate, as a medical student, a resident in OBGYN. I did my fellowship in maternal fetal medicine, and now I'm faculty member in the department of OBGYN. So I tell people that they're probably going to bury me in the parking lot somewhere. So <laughs> a, a long career Maybe they'll here. find you a spot. Yes, a long <laughs> career. Yeah, exactly. A long career here at UCI. So thank you for having me. Okay, good. I'm glad you're here. Um, um, Mary Sela Faust, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I am the Chief Operations Officer at Human Options. I've been there for about eight years, and I work with the, all of the staff um, providing the wonderful services at Human Options. I supervise the clinicians and work with several universities to provide field practicums for social work students that are trying to learn more about domestic violence and how to provide services. And I also sit on the um, board of directors for the California Partnership to End Domestic Violence. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having us. I'm so happy that you're here. And how about you, Mary Jo Mursa? Hi, thank you for having me. You can go ahead and turn that and come a lot closer. That way we'll get a better, that's better, yeah. Okay, great, thank okay. you. I am a board member of Human Options. And I also am um, this Women and Children's Health Service Line Administrator for Kaiser Permanente in Orange County. Okay, tell us what a service line administrator is. I was curious about that. Yes, the way we are broken up within Orange County is that we cross the continuum of care. So we begin with outpatient services, so I do oversee the OBGYN services within Orange County, but I'm also responsible for inpatient services such as labor and delivery, postpartum, the NICU, pediatrics. Okay. All right. Good. Well, let's start with our discussion. You know, we we hopped in the car and we said, okay, what are we going to cover today? And I think we're going to try to address um, 
two really important, well, there, there's going to be multiple topics, but we're going to approach this from two separate ways. One of the ways we're going to approach it is if you are a victim of domestic violence, we want to give you some information that you maybe didn't think about. You know, we, we talked about maybe uh, individuals rationalize their situation, and if they haven't sought help yet, we want to give you some more compelling information as to why you might choose to do so. We're going to give you some resources and some phone numbers to call. But we're also going to take the position of how a health care and a social worker can identify domestic violence and how we can do a better job of screening. So um, I want to welcome you to call. If you, for any reason, have a question, for any reason you want to talk to these experts, please feel free to call in. Our number is 824 uh, 5824. And that's KUCI. It's a 949 area code, um, 824-5824. So please call in. I'll do my darndest not to hang up on you. If I do for any reason, you just pick that phone right back up and <laughs> I'll I'll give it another try. Everybody that listens to my show regularly knows that I need help <laughs> in that department. So there's a lot of buttons I'm sitting in front of and I've, I had my own engineer for the first several uh, episodes. And so I, I don't know, I just kind of didn't really quite pick it up but anyway so um call in 824-5824 and um let's turn the discussion um to you dr chewy let's start with um let's start with those physical impacts and why we might consider looking at that more deeply sure you know when i first started practicing uh medicine i started i realized how important violence was in my patients everyday lives and it became quite obvious that most physicians and most healthcare workers just didn't get it and that was a long time ago you know 20 years ago where i started my practice but i have to say while awareness of domestic violence has increased in our community um you hear about it in medical um, articles every once in a while and in some conferences the change in everyday practice in medical care just hasn't really been there. We're still practicing medicine very similarly to what we were doing 20 years ago, meaning that we are not paying attention to how domestic violence might present. So because of that, I think a lot of women and men who are victims of abuse or who have violence in their lives don't really appreciate how what the impact is in their whole quality of life. So we all know that Having a violent home is certainly going to be stressful. We know that it's going to probably increase your chances of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, um, all of those kinds of, of mental health issues. That's kind of obvious. But I think sometimes we don't link the two as much as we do. Yes, your heart palpitations, yes, your panic attacks probably are very directly related to the abuse that you're having every once in a while, to the constant fear that doesn't go away, to the problems that you are having sleeping at night. Um, all of those immediate mental health concerns are, you know, they've been recognized a long time. The real question is, when you go to your psychiatrist or your primary care doc for symptoms of insomnia, of depression, of anxiety, or panic attacks, is he asking you, how are things at home? Are you having some problems with violence in your life? Or are they just writing a prescription for a medication? So while that might be helpful on some level, not addressing the under the real reason why you're having all of those chronic issues and concerns is not going to allow you to really treat your issues in the depth that you should. 
It's really important to point that out because, oh gosh, I mean, so Mary Jo, let's turn the discussion to you because you um, you experience people as they come in. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so come a little closer to that microphone. I know you ladies are sharing. Thank you very much for for working together over there. So actually, Kaiser Permanente in Orange County has partnered with Human Options, and we are doing screening now of um, women as they're coming in for their prenatal care and postnatal care. So we screen them at the 28-week part, the 35-week point, and then again when they come back for their prenatal screening. So it's a separate screening that's strictly focused on domestic violence. Yes. And can we talk a little bit about what that screening is? Do you both want to share information on that? Sure. And um, it's as simple as three questions that that we ask when they come in. And we do have to separate them from their partner to do this. Mm -hmm. And the three questions are, within the past year, has your partner hit, slapped, kicked, or otherwise physically hurt you? Within the past year... Has your partner forced you to participate in unwanted sexual activity? And then the third question is, are you afraid of your partner? Wow. That brings it home, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then if they do screen positive to that, then the team leader meets with them and asks them a few more questions to see their willingness of would they like to connect with human options. And if they do... If they are willing, um, we go ahead and connect them to Human Options. The team leader, who is a nurse, speaks to to Human Options and introduces the, um, the person and says, we have a concern here. She also identifies whether the partner is actually in the waiting room or not. And then um, we turn over the phone to Human Options, who really does a very thorough investigation and of course we do provide her with resources within the community that she can also go to so let's say let's run the scenario that her partner is in the waiting room was he originally in the uh, in the room with her and then asked to leave to do the section or how does that no, work we let them know and we have posters in our um, waiting rooms too to say that there will be a time when we have to separate you from um, our member that is being seen today and went once the physician is done with their evaluation we will come and get you one of the um, really unique things that are maybe not unique but one of the important things <coughs> when doing the screenings is being able to separate the patient from their partner and in our partnership with Kaiser, one of the one of the great things that we've really noted is that it's a it's their common practice. So when you go mm-hmm. and it, and and when you find a hospital or a, a physician who that's their common practice, the the abusive partner is not going to think anything different. So they are actually going to see this is just normal practice. This is their standard not, of care, right? And yes. they're not going to get suspicious, and they're not going to start to get agitated or any of those things. And so it normalizes that as a as a as a way. What this is our standard of care. This is what we do. And then it also really allows the patient to understand like this is an opportunity for you to have a um, one-on-one conversation with your physician because oftentimes that is the only time they're going to get to be alone we've had clients come to us where really it was only that small window of time that they were that they were allowed to even talk to anybody that they were not being sort of supervised if you will by um, the abusive partner and so now they have this opportunity and if they have a physician who physician or a nurse or anybody who's willing to ask the question not once but a couple of different times and develop a rapport around that 
then they it begins to make it okay for them to talk about something they haven't had an opportunity to talk about. So how much time are they in the room for the screening? I mean, their window is pretty small, isn't yes. it? Yes. Really the screening is rather quick. And then if they do choose to speak to human options, that's a, a little longer. That could be a 20 to 30 minute interview. Even if they do not screen positive, though, we do ask the, the woman, would you like to spend time alone with your provider before we get, get your partner? Mm -hmm. So in case she is still not comfortable in disclosing to a nurse or the medical assistant, she will have that personal time to have the conversation with her doctor. Okay. And sometimes it, it's as easy as planting that seed because the first time or second time she may not disclose, but knowing that, that we um, are interested in hearing her story and we kind of make this a commonplace thing that, you know, this is very common for people of all walks of life and we're worried about your health. And this is why we're doing this. Well, what Kaiser has done is very powerful because if you think about the individual doctor in practice, how hard it is for them to be able to screen without it being awkward, you know, separating people, um, feeling uncomfortable with asking the questions. Once it becomes kind of a systems in place, it's just natural to do that. Um, what I really advocate for all doctors is to screen everybody, men and women, all mm -hmm. ages, so that it's, you know, patients always often ask you, well, I no, I'm, I don't have any issues, but why are you asking? And it's an opportunity to educate the community. So you might not know that domestic violence is one of the most important reasons why women are hurt or injured as adults. So I ask all my patients, and this provides a tremendously powerful way to educate the whole community. So many times a woman will tell me, well, no, you know, I haven't had any problems, but, you know, I'm, I've been worried about my sister or I've been worried about my friend. And then it gives you a tremendous power in the office. And I, I think helping uh, physicians and nurses realize how powerful they are in the office, not just with what they do with the healthcare immediately, but in how they educate patients. I think we were very powerful in um, affecting smoking rates mm -hmm. by yes. asking everyone, you know, how much are you smoking? How many days? How many packs? Until patients really, okay, I get it. This is important and this matters to you. So it's a, it's a healthcare issue from the very beginning. And, and what Kaiser has done is made it easy for the physicians to do the right thing every single time. And thank you for referring to it as a health care issue, mm -hmm. because I think so many times people think of it as a social issue or a social problem, and it really does impact health, not only of the person who's being abused, but if they have their children present, it affects them too. Okay. Um, so interesting, you know, we've had a lot in the news with the... Um, I guess it's a, I'm sorry, I'm really bad at popular culture, but uh, the Pistorius murder, I think that's probably brought a lot to light for a lot of people. Um, and it's, it's put it certainly in the forefront of people's minds that probably weren't thinking about it. I didn't read enough to know if anybody saw red flags with that couple or not. But um, I want to touch on some of the statistics and um, that were presented to me through Human Options. And really quickly, I want to say that if you do want some resources right away, you can go to humanoptions.org, right? Mm -hmm. And then, um, Marcella, do you happen to know the number over there to call at Human Options? I, I didn't, I had it I had it down, but I don't think it's in this article. So 
I just wanted to, um, we'll get that for you before the end of the show. But if you're just tuning in, you are listening to Real People OC, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. And uh, we have with us Maricela Rios Faust with Human Options, and also uh, Dr. Julian Tui, who is a high risk pregnancy uh, physician in maternal fetal medicine. And um, and then also we have with us Mary Jo Mursa, who is an RN and also a board member of Human Options. So that hotline number that we've had before is uh, 877-854-3594. Wow, don't you just love our smartphones? Man, <laughs> man, do they make us better. Um, but we are in the middle of part three of our series on domestic violence. And so we want to encourage you, if anybody is listening, uh, to call in. You're welcome to call us at uh, 949-824-5824. And um, if you have any questions that you want to ask um, these ladies, we, we welcome you to do so. Um, and um, so let's talk a little bit about um, why somebody in the situation where they're experiencing domestic violence and they haven't gone to seek help yet, what are some of those really compelling health markers that would maybe give them some encouragement to go do so and not wait? Well, in my world, I'm an obstetrician. Pregnancy is huge. Uh, Pregnancy is a very special time. It's a time when um, in many couples, the violence actually gets worse um, because probably there's a lot of financial stress, there's a lot of social stress, a lot of new things happening to that family, and coping skills decrease. But there's also a lot of excuses at that time, too, not to call. Well, he's stressed. Well, he's this. Well, he's the father of my baby. Yeah. And that's the biggest one. It's, it's, it's like, you know, how can I leave the father of my baby? And, and uh, I really am concerned about physical abuse during pregnancy. There's some newer data now that is saying that most pregnancies actually can be protective from an abusive relationship because there might be a little bit more hands-off situation, but the verbal abuse and emotional abuse continues. But there's some early data, and it needs to be confirmed, that relationships that become physical or continue to be physical in pregnancy might be the most lethal. Mm -hmm. So that's a because there's such tremendous danger to the woman and her vulnerability in her body and also with it with the outcome of that pregnancy. I think um, you know we in medical school we learn a lot about what can happen during pregnancy abnormal bleeding preterm labor preterm contractions we learn a little bit about the importance of how it how you know we need to keep that baby in the womb so it becomes more more mature and healthy but how many times do we not ask the question gee are you contracting too much because somebody slammed you against the wall or are you bleeding because somebody kicked you in the stomach um very important that obstetricians and and doctors who take care of pregnant women connect the dots that many of the problems that pregnant women are having could be related to violence Um, and that way hopefully we intervene obviously i'm very concerned not only about the woman but what is the violence during pregnancy foretelling about what could possibly happen to that child in the future as well Okay. Anything else you ladies want to add over there on your end of the table? I was just going to highlight that. Um, what Dr. Tui just talked about is one of the reasons that we really focused on our partnership with Kaiser and other local 
hospitals and clinics around working with OBGYNs. And, and it was really around, they are at a really great, they have a great opportunity to ask questions because they see the patient more regularly than a, a, a primary physician. So everybody should be asking it. Um, but what we found is because they're regularly meeting with that patient, they're able to see more than your average physician would see. And, and even asking the questions. And we have actually had clients come into our emergency shelter who were severely, severely beaten during their pregnancies. We've had people come in at six months pregnant. We've had people come in at eight months pregnant. And it has really been a critical time. And so for somebody to leave, I mean, you mentioned earlier that sometimes it's difficult. Well, why do I leave? There's a lot of excuses. You know, he was just really stressed out. But we know that when they actually do leave during that time period, the stress is so severe. And I think they, at some point it becomes about how do I take care of my baby? How do I take care of my child? And it is through an intervention by somebody who is close to them and trusted, oftentimes a physician, a close friend who says, what do you, you know, let's, let's help you and, the, and the, the baby. It's really true. You know, obstetricians see their patients every two to three to four weeks where a primary care doc might be lucky if they see the patient every two to three years. And with the way women are changing their insurances, they often are not seen at the same clinic or at the same facility for, you know, Boy, hardly at all. That's a really good point. So we are very lucky in OBGYN to see patients fairly frequently. You also see them during difficult times. Mm-hmm. So pregnancy is a time where you're worried about how healthy is your baby? Is there a problem with the baby? Is the baby going to come early? Um, postpartum time is also a very vulnerable time. New baby, crying baby, nobody's sleeping, all this bills coming, all this money. So it's a very, very high risk time. But we again are seeing patients. So not only are are the providers having more opportunity to pick something up, but I think women are also in the frame of mind where they want to protect their baby. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's not just about them. It's about this new baby. And they might be more open to, gee, is this really what I want for my family? Is What can I do to keep my child safe? And so they might be in a frame of mind where they be more open to options for themselves. Right. And I think because of the OBGYN relationship with the patient, it's, it really is an intimate relationship. And I think it, I would think that most women are hoping someone will ask in those situations. Yes, that's mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they want somebody to just draw it out of them. You know, I think about <coughs> the Elizabeth Smart kidnapping, and I also um, probably will do a show about this, but um, I... I knew somebody connected to the J.C. Dugard um, kidnapping as well. And um, <coughs> I know her stepfather. He was the one that was accused of, of some kind of wrongful doing and then harassed by the police for many, many years. But I think about the question that everybody asks, why didn't they run, leave, or, you know. that that We've got to shed some light on that because I think if people understood the amount of mental stress on the victim, they might take a different stance when they see something that's suspicious. So, um, you know, because they were out in the open multiple times, both of those in both of those cases. And there's just got to be something that that we can help others be aware of so that they can see some red flags. Well, you know, that's always the golden question, right? Why why do they stay? And I think even providers and doctors ask that question, and it almost excuses they're not looking for ways to identify domestic violence in their offices because they say, well, they're not going to leave anyway, and they're not going to tell me the truth. 
And it's actually not true. If you're asking in a kind, compassionate, open manner, a lot of women will be open and tell you that they need some help. But the but the complexities of a violent relationship is just uh, amazing. And they they are different. You can't color. <laughs> we have good music. <laughs> Hello. What's going on? My name is Kimberly Martin. I love that. I love that. I like music when I'm talking. I love that song. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think in many ways, Kimberly, it's almost like, how do any women leave? When you start realizing how hard it is, and it's not so easy to just, it, these are not normal relationships. Women don't have the kind of power that they have in other relationships. Number one, financial. I mean, if, if in many of these abusive situations, women don't have control of the money. Well, what do you do in the next you know, day, 24 hours without any money and you have two or three children that you need to feed. Well, uh, gee, I've had women in my practice who are attorneys and who are doctors whose entire paycheck is sent over electronically into their spouse's account and they have to ask for five bucks to get lunch. So you have two or three kids to feed and you have you don't have control of your finances. It's not going to be a very simple thing. Um, that's just number one. Yeah. Uh, number two, there's no affordable housing in Orange County. If you're going to separate from the person who's the primary breadwinner, uh, where are you going to live? Not everybody has a place to go. Shelters are amazing for that acute short term, but sometimes not great for long term. Uh, not everybody has supportive families. Uh, there's real fear of something happening to the children if you threaten to leave or you choose to leave. Um, the 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 constant fear of what could happen it's very easy when you're removed from that situation to say gee this is not healthy for you you should leave this then actually doing it when you have somebody powerful in your face controlling your life in every instance and then of course you your personality changes you don't have the confidence that you wish you had you don't have even the decision-making skills that you would if you were a healthy functioning adult living without fear and that's the kind of problem that I think people can't put themselves in those people's shoes easily because I think it's hard for us to imagine what it's like to be constantly in fear. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just wanted, I, along those lines, I wanted to add, I, the, the thing that's difficult sometimes to imagine is that concept of safety. So people think about safety almost always in a physical way. So phys being physically safe, which would lend itself to think, well, why don't they just leave, right? But I think the part that's harder to capture, and, and that's what I think Dr. Tu is, was talking about, is really the complexity is around the, the, the mental safety and the emotional safety, and, and really being able to, to really stop, stop all of the messages that kind of run through your head. So all the messages that the, the batterer has sort of said, you're stupid, you'll never be worth anything, nobody will ever believe you, why did you make me do this? I mean, that's just constantly eroding that person's sense of safety. And I, um, I, I heard, I've heard a couple of different ways of describing it, and probably one of the most, um, it almost is a simple way of talking about it, but I think it gets the message across, is that um, when you think about, you know, you're, you're in a setting and you're you're feeling really comfortable and you're feeling really safe and all of a sudden a bear comes into that setting. And most of us would get just really frightened, right? And so we're either going to go into fight or flight mode, so we're going to just leave the situation, try and get safety, and our anxiety is going to go up and we're going to get super mm -hmm. agitated. And then when the bear leaves, 
we get calm, we get restored back to that sense of safety, and then we can go on about our way. And so we had an opportunity. It happened once. We, we went to flee. That was fine. In this situation, you have to imagine a time when the bear never leaves. And so you're in a constant state of heightened arousal. And instead of fight, fight or flight, you're now into sort of, you're immobilized. You're, mm -hmm. you're freezing. You, mm -hmm. can no, you can't take action because it's constantly there. I mean, if you try and do something, that bear's there. You're trying to figure out how to get out, how to maneuver things. And, to, and that, that's a complex thing to think about because they're always in your head. I mean, that's where it starts, right? It's the messages. It's, if you think about most instances of domestic violence, it didn't start off with a smack. I mean, it wasn't, that's not the, the very first thing that happened. It could, and most people can respond to that. But oftentimes it's the messaging. It's the, the beating somebody's psyche down that starts to happen first. The drip system. And that's mm -hmm. what's much harder to recover from as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and then the chemicals that are released in the body when you're under that type of stress. I was trying to explain to my kids the other day. Um, I believe I, I had a kidnapping attempt on me when I was young, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't come to fruition. I was just waiting for my dad outside of a men's public restroom, and as characteristic. Um, lean, abnormal. I finished first. <laughs> never the girl never finishes before the man. <laughs> so it didn't really make sense. But I remember, um, you know, it's, it's funny how memories come back to you, but I remember how I felt. And I was trying to explain this to my children. I said, you know, we feel like right now, if we needed to, we could just let out a scream and run as fast as we wanted to. I said, but the problem is the adrenaline. I said, your body is not used to experiencing adrenaline and you don't realize how weak your legs will feel in this absolute not in your throat and how you'll feel totally incapacitated to scream and to run the two things that you have as your as your weapons and I said so I'm telling them about this so that they understand the power of these very powerful chemicals that their body will react to to let them know to run even though you 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 don't you feel like your legs are going to crumble and <clears throat> because this man was trying to grasp me I ran back to where my mother was sitting. We were at, at Ontario International Raceway way back many, many years when that raceway was out in Ontario. And um, and I thought my legs were going to fall apart. So those are the chemicals that we're talking about, aren't we? And and we know a little bit more about what those chemicals do to our long-term health, right? If you're having that all the time. I can't imagine what your blood pressure would be. I can't imagine what your blood sugar level would be. Um, I'm a diabetic, so it's interesting to just know what happens to me when I just don't get a good night's sleep. I mean, my blood sugars are crazy. So if you imagine that constant level of adrenaline and, and cortisol levels in your blood, it's got to have long-term effects on your body. And, and sure enough, the studies do show that when you have a life of chronic abuse, you have much higher incidence of high blood pressure, of diabetes. Obesity is very strongly related to childhood abuse and, and a stressful life in early childhood, especially morbid obesity. As a matter of fact, people who, who counsel patients who have bariatric surgery have to be very careful because they realize that extra weight is almost your protection now. It's, it's what's going to happen to you when it comes off 
your wall of safety comes down. And that can be a very powerful graphic of really what happens to people when they have been living with chronic stress. We need our walls and our bodies just can't handle it without having to do something else to compensate. So, so yeah, the healthcare benefit or, or stresses of, of chronic violence, there are, we're only beginning to understand them and they're chronic and unrelenting. Interesting. Anything else you wanted to add, Mary Jo? Yes, it, and when women are coming in with like repeated headaches or th- things, back pain, those are also red flags. But I did want to mention also in the cycle of violence, there um, is the tension building phase and then there's the abuse, but there is a honeymoon phase mm-hmm. too. And women can oftentimes, or men in the situation, can oftentimes get really. Um, enchant it by that component because good things do happen so it's not like it's constant terror every day good things happen too and i think that helps suck the women in. it becomes the hook yes or keeps them in a situation longer plus too they learn to manage the situation so i would imagine just managing the situation to prevent possible impending violence is just as stressful as a chronic stress as we talk about you know heart attack rates in men with high stress jobs like, absolutely you know, um, so it's probably probably the same side of that equation <coughs> you know we also should mention that the the effects on men mm-hmm. are are huge so you know i i really men as abusers or men as, as abusers and okay. and of course being abused not the same as thing. victims no I, I think we forget and we don't often mention that the perpetrators, the abusers, are victims as well. Almost all of them universally have been victims of childhood abuse, um, have had violence in their lives from the time they were very, very young. As the abusers get more and more violent, they have such a dramatic decrease in the quality of their life. They have more and more criminal behavior. They spend time in jail. They abuse alcohol and drugs. They lose their family sometimes. Um, they lose, they actually have a lot more increased violence outside of the home. So they have, you know, fights with other people. They really have a lower quality of life. So I think, I think what we need to also remember is that family violence affects everyone and that we need to take care of everyone the victim the the abuser and of course the children if we're going to have a true impact on our society so when i talk to physicians about screening it's not just women it's men too universal screening is not just pregnant women it's all women there was an amazing study that was done um recently looking at orthopedic clinics and a good percentage of the people going to an orthopedic clinic had some kind of injury that was the result of domestic violence. And yet almost no one was screened or asked the question. Here they had an injury. It wasn't like they were coming for their annual pap smear or their annual blood pressure check. They had an injury. They still were not screened. And these researchers also asked the orthopedic surgeons, gosh, how many people do you think in your practice have domestic violence? They said less than 1%. So there was a tremendous disconnect between what's really happening to people in doctor's offices and what physicians believe or think. Right, and we have to be careful as healthcare providers too because whatever the woman is telling us initially, she is probably minimizing Mm -hmm. the occurrence. And so- That's probably true. Yeah. Um, because because she just doesn't want to, she's not ready to go there, so she's mm-hmm. just sticking her toe in with the story. Well, we also have to be honest. It's not necessarily like everything's going to be fixed because you divulged 
your your right. terrible problem. Uh, there are a lot of barriers to these women who are looking for help. And like we mentioned, the financial barriers. There are also legal barriers. There's also limits to what the courts can do and what the police can do. And, and women are smart. They know this. And they know that there can be consequences with their children. So there's a lot of things that, that victims really need to be open about and they need to be looking out for and Thankfully, we have places like Human Options who puts together counseling, emergency shelter, legal services to help people kind of navigate this very overwhelming process of what the heck am I going to do to leave a violent situation. And it's also, I think we, uh, it's also remembering that just like uh, when we think of fear, we think, okay, they're going to leave. And that, but fear also keeps them there. It's, sure. It's the fear of what's going to happen to me if I leave. And um, it's the... You know, it's the threats of, if you leave me, I will do this. Absolutely. If you leave me, I will kill your mother. I will kill your sister. I will. And, and there's those stories. And I, there is a, a story that um, of a young boy, and, and he um, went in to go, and he was being evaluated. There was severe abuse. That his mom was being severely abused, and he was um, obviously living in the home and had some really bad traumatic reactions to it. And um, this physician tells the story of he's walking down the hallway and he goes through a couple different doors and he's using his badge each and every time to open each door. And the little boy was about six years old and they finally get past that last door and he says, uh, the little boy says, oh, um, you know, all those doors we came through, you need a pass to come through. And the little boy says, and the doctor says, yes, that's right. You know, only people who have the badge can come through. And he says, so nobody else can get here. No. Well, can my dad get in here? And the little, and the doctor says, oh, no, he can't. And that little boy turned and said, now I can tell you my story because I know he can't come in and hurt you. Oh. So the dad had actually been telling this little boy, if you tell anybody what's happening at home, I will kill the person you told. And so that he was protecting them. Right. Absolutely. Oh, so painful. Yeah. <clears throat> and so he shared his story. Mm-hmm. So he shared his story and <coughs> was able to get connected um, and I think for the physician, I remember when he was telling the story, he said how powerful that was to all of a sudden realize that oftentimes they think, oh, it's a, it's a way of self-protection without really realizing that you are protecting other people, that somehow that's also a way of coping is really, well, I, I know what I live with, and so I can kind of manage around, and there will be good times and there will be mm-hmm. bad, but that's that just control that occurs. And so that family was able to get connected and get some help and support because all of a sudden they had found a place of safety and safety is really key to being able to heal somebody. Wow, that's powerful. Um, I want to touch on the point you brought up with addressing the men because it seems to me that we, we focus so much on the victims but it seems to me that that's, that's a symptom of, of the 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 root problem which is that these violent men have obviously are discharging in some way right and so an imbalance has occurred for them no and i like to think of them as victims too because they really are there's very few men who are batterers who didn't have this kind of problem in their life very very few and then the problem they turn to alcohol they tend to drug abuse um they don't have, there's not a lot of easy support in the community it's not easy to just say gee I have a lot of problems with my anger I need help you know it's we need to help them get to that point where they actually that isn't a a frequent encounter in the doctor's office so I talked to doctors about hey how would you screen how would you screen men you know and so we talk about alcohol use drug use and then I like to just ask the question do you have trouble 
with your anger? Have you done something that you regret with your wife or with your children? Do you need, do you need help managing your anger? And uh, gosh, how wonderful that would be if we asked all men that and, uh, and on screen all men and women and see, we can help you with that before you end up in jail, before you end up hurting your son or whatever is happening in that household. I was fascinated in the very first um, segment that we did for our series. It was that a man that called in and he wanted to tell us that they don't mean what they're doing. Yeah. And I was really fascinated by that because it was not what I expected. (laughs) I expected to to hear from a woman that wanted help. I didn't expect to hear from what we call in society as the perpetrator. Right. And so... um, you know, I think maybe that's part of the problem is the wife understands on some level Absolutely. what's wrong with her husband. And obviously he's probably shared why, but she keeps thinking that by staying she'll help him manage or get it under control. But I think it's a problem that's too big for the both of them to handle. And um, so that's a great way to put it. They need help and to help their husbands heal and get help. They can't stay in that situation. Mm-hmm. So right. at the end of the day, if you really are thinking about helping your loved one, it might be better for him if you leave. Yes, probably. Now, but I do want to throw out that number for human options because Vivian Klikak uh, quickly gave the number for human options and said to the caller, you can get help at, at our counseling just as much as um, any woman that's a victim of, of uh, domestic violence. So I'm going to put that number out there again. Um, you can go to 877 854 three five nine four or you can uh, learn more on humanoptions.org um before we transition i really want to go to your tie-in here at uci um that you talked about just before we came on the air today dr tui can you tell us about some of the fabulous programs that are going on well you know i think that we have long recognized that good research in family violence is lacking and that we're only beginning to understand all the complicated issues. We talked about how complex the issue is, and it really is. There's, there's um, child abuse, domestic violence, and elder abuse are all interrelated. We have to get good numbers, good data. Uh, we, have, we have lots of work to do. And we would love to have UCI become a center of academic excellence studying this terrible problem of family violence. And so to that end, um, Dr. Laura Mosqueda, Jane Stover at the law school, and myself have put together a group of faculty members, and we're we're still in our early stages of, of development. We're trying to identify faculty in all disciplines, meaning the arts, the humanities, engineering, uh, computer science, mathematics, education, of course, I would love to have included. All come together, all sit at the table and say, what kind of problems can we try to solve? What kind of research projects can we do? And then, of course, this center of excellence could or institute or whatever we're going to call it, could really become a a resource to the community. And we want to work with the community, partner with the community. What problems do you need us to solve and to look at? How can you, how can we help you give better services to victims of violence? So it's in the baby stages. So I really um, uh, look to the UCI community to look for news about this new institute to see how we can grow and you know develop some funding for it and connect really good healthy connections with the community and and hopefully in a year or two we'll tell you all the wonderful things that we've been tackling in this institute 
Wonderful. Yeah, that's I, fantastic. Thank mm -hmm. you for doing that. <laughs> well, we think it will be uh, very unique nationwide. So, you know, mm -hmm. I think we've got amazing Certainly. talent here at UCI. We have wonderful committed faculty on many levels and bringing every everybody together with a single project. It's really what it's going to take. Mm -hmm. I mean, domestic violence is so complicated and so huge that I think maybe that's part of the reason why people kind of shy away from it. It's like it's too big to solve. I can't do it by myself and nobody can. But if we kind of bring experts in all areas of life, not only will we educate so many more people in so many disciplines, but I think we'll come with solutions a lot more easily. And I think it, it takes a it takes an issue that for a lot of uh, for a long time people have seen as a private family matter or a, a, a private matter and really sort of sheds light on the social impact and the health impact and really elevates it to this is everybody's issue. That's we right. should all be talking about it. We should all be doing something about it. Right. Well, and I just, you know, we've, we've done so much here by putting these um, these concepts at play. But I just, you know, it, it's such a, <clears throat> it is such an overwhelming task. I want to, maybe can I have one of you read through some of the statistics that you presented from Human Options or just at least touch on a few of the important ones? Sure. Um, I'll read on a, a couple of them. Every day in the U.S., more than three women are murdered by their intimate partner. Every nine seconds, a woman is beaten. 15.5 million U.S. children live in families which partner violence occurred at least once in the past year. Um, the cost of intimate partner violence in the U.S. exceeds $5.8 billion a year, $4.1 billion for direct medical and health care services, and $1.8 billion in lost productivity. 74% of all murder-suicides involved an intimate partner. Of these, 96% were, were females killed by their intimate partner. Domestic violence is the leading cause of injury to women, more than car accidents, muggings, and rapes combined. 50 to 70% of women abused before pregnancy are abused during pregnancy. Right, and oftentimes the deaths aren't the result, aren't an, an intentional death. It's not that the perpetrator intended to kill the woman, but she could have fallen and hit her head, fell down the stairs, or done something else. You or know? had a miscarriage, or yes, a stillbirth. Exactly, all of those things. I have to say, you know, I'm I'm chairing the um, death review team for Orange County of domestic violence. So we look at all the deaths occurring in Orange County as a result of domestic violence. The number of murder suicides is amazing, mm -hmm. and they're the primary deaths that we are seeing. That means men and women are dying because of domestic violence. And a lot of times there are many, many f dynamics that are damaging. There's a lot of depression in the home, uh, substance abuse that isn't being addressed until something just can't go on. And uh, so we need to stop this. Right. And if there's anybody out there that needs some help, there are so many people that care about you and that want to do something for you. And I think one of the scary things about domestic violence is that it always feels like you're the only one. And boy, I hope that today's show and reading all the statistics really lets you know you are not the only one. Mm -hmm. And that goes for teenagers and um, the college students out there too. Because intimate partner vi violence is on the rise also. Um, do you want to do you want to mention anything that you know about that as well? Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I, 
It's okay. It's okay. If, if we're not. We, I believe we are going to dedicate one of our segments, the last in our segment of four segments, um, to the student body population here at UCI. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think as far as the student body, it's it's really um, try. It, it, it's it's an interesting um, time in society where a lot of things are normal, and there's a lot of sort of. Um, you know, between what we see on TV and what we see, on, you know, what we hear on the radio. And, and it's really sometimes you almost get desensitized to things that are not mm-hmm. okay. So you get desensitized to abusive language, to abuse. And sometimes people don't really know how to engage or how to how to sort of intercede when they see something. And so, I, I, you know, I think, Mojo, to your point, it's, it is on the rise because we haven't really found a way to talk about it and we haven't found a way to say it's not okay to do this. And, and we really mm-hmm. need to engage in dialogue and, and know that it's not okay to be abusive toward your partner or anybody. Or anybody. You know, it's, a, it's a, an issue of respect and personal dignity. And I think that parents really do need a model for their kids how to treat others. I mean, exactly. you know, that, that, that is such a truism, you know, that what we really need in life we learned in kindergarten. How do we get along in that sandbox? And, and we forget a lot of that. The college dating violence is astounding, and it's really, really scary. These are smart intelligent people who have resources in the prime of their lives and it you know you really need to think a lot about what is it that I want in my personal relationship what kind of communications um, activities what kind of skills do I want and what kind of respect do I want to demand in a relationship and I think those are really good questions shouldn't have started in college should have started that in high school those kinds of questions and it's also the, it's also the time of your life between 18 and 24 where incident where, where most women experience their first act of um, intimate partner violence or domestic violence is during that time period and so and that's there's right. a lot of developmentally that's happening for you during that age in terms sure. of just trying to figure out who you are and what you do and and those types of things that I think play into that as well Anything you want to add, Mary Jo? No. Okay. Well, we are drawing down on our time on segment three for domestic violence in Orange County, and um, we've just had an interesting discussion about um, the impacts on health care in uh, both the victim and the perpetrator, and um, I'm fascinated by what we've managed to touch on here and also to know about the programs that are available. Um, I want to thank our guests. Um, for being here today, uh, Dr. Julian Tui and Mary Jo Mercer um, and Maricela Rios Faust, um, all of you representing both UCI and Human Options very well today, and Kaiser Permanente Hospital. Thank you, Thank you so much for yeah. being here, and um, I'm going to give out that number one more time just so if anybody is interested in calling, you have it. Um, you can contact humanoptions.org or go to 877 877- um, and talk to a counselor if that's something that you want to do. So, again, thank you, ladies, for being here. Thank uh, you for having us. Thank you for having us. Okay, so up next is um, Matt Kaplan will bring to you Counterspin Radio, and then uh, after that, uh, Matt will also bring to you uh, Planetary Radio. So uh, thank you very much for joining KUCI.